0: Will you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1. Mark chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1. Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. The plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears... To hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise." They might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, "Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed?" Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand.
1: Well, much as I hate to say it, summer is almost over. I know. August isn't even here yet, almost. And you may think that I'm rushing that statement a little bit, but you know, schools seem to open earlier and earlier. This morning, we sent our last bus load of summer campers up to Camp Zion in Dora County. And uh, it means summer's almost over. It means time to get back to work. (laughs) Students, no more leisurely reading whatever you feel like reading on the beach. You're going to have to crack those textbooks. And uh, church members, it means soon. No more Sundays out on Lake Michigan on the boat or uh, vacationing up in Door County. It means you've got to be here. (laughs) And uh, Awana leaders... Pretty soon, your Monday nights are ours. (laughs) Choir members, it's going to be time to get back in voice, learn some anthems, new and old. Elders are going to have to strategize about transition. Staff are going to be setting their goals for the ministry year. Time to get to kingdom work. Summer's almost over. So maybe it's fitting that we hear a story about the diligent, hard-working farmer who researches what plants will do best on this particular soil with this particular sun exposure and this particular annual anticipated rainfall, who um, clears the rocks out of the field, who fertilizes and then plows the field. Every furrow is straight as a road in South Dakota who then uh, waters, weeds, watches, worries, and wills the seed to grow. The seed that he has diligently planted, marking off a spot every four feet. He's got a stick marked with the right depth, so he pokes a hole and puts a seed in and then covers it up. Hard-working farmer. A fine example to us all. Except that's not the story Jesus tells. He tells about a farmer who slings seed. He doesn't plant it. He doesn't plan for it. He just spreads it, scatters it. And then whether he sleeps in or gets up. Hard work doesn't seem to matter in this story. The earth, the soil, all by itself. Yields a crop. <laughs> so maybe this isn't the best story for us if we're thinking about the end of summer and time to get back to work. What on earth is going on here? Well, I know uh, part of what's going on here is Jesus is talking about his favorite subject, the kingdom of God. The Gospels say that um, you could summarize his ministry by saying he went about preaching the kingdom. And the good news that he preached was the gospel of the kingdom. And the, the lifestyle he demanded was the righteousness of the kingdom. The hope that he offered was the hope of entering the kingdom. He was all about the kingdom of God. One of the best assignments that I ever got in seminary was to read the Gospels and note every reference to the Kingdom of God and then go back and reread them and and try to categorize them and see what they say about the Kingdom. Uh, When does the Kingdom come? Who gets to enter the Kingdom? What are the qualifications for entering the Kingdom? Um, That assignment didn't require any expensive textbooks or sophisticated software or uh, a knowledge of the original languages. Anybody could do it. You could do it. In fact, I encourage you to do it. You'll learn a lot about Jesus' favorite subject. The kingdom of God is near, he proclaimed. Repent and believe that good news. So... I, I know part of what's going on in this parable of the mysterious growing seed is that Jesus is talking about his favorite subject. And he's also using his favorite method. Parables or, or stories. Yeah, people like stories. Listeners like stories. Any preacher could tell you that if in the middle of the sermon attention seems to be lagging, not that that would ever happen here, um, And the preacher says, let me tell you a story. Heads come up, eyes open. People are all ears. People like stories. But that is not the main reason that Jesus used stories. He tells us in this chapter why he preaches in parables. The disciples ask him about that. And he says in verse uh, 10 or 11... The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, my committed followers. But on those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they might see but not see, hear but not really hear, otherwise they might repent and be forgiven. Isn't that strange? strange reason to use a particular teaching method to kind of make a division between the people who really want to get it, and they will, and those who don't, and they won't. And let me tell you something unusual about Jesus' use of parables. He's not the only rabbi who taught this way. Scholars have unearthed hundreds of parables from the century before and the century after Jesus. Others used this method, but most rabbis used parables to reinforce conventional wisdom. Telling stories to underscore the kind of things that parents try to teach their children when they're still young. We all know that diligence is a fine thing and so we tell the parable of the tortoise and the hare. Persistence. We want our children to learn to listen to parents' voices and obey, and so we tell a parable about the trouble that a boy got in when he didn't listen to his dad's sudden shouted-out instruction in an emergency situation. We tell, as did the rabbis, parables to reinforce conventional wisdom. Jesus, on the other hand, tended to tell parables to subvert conventional wisdom to introduce new perspectives, to challenge the way his listeners thought. And and we see that here in Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is not what you might expect. Those who first heard him teach these parables expected the kingdom of God to come, but they were looking for something dramatic Political, economic, military, Rome would be done for. There would be a Davidic king sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling the whole world. That was their expectation of the kingdom. Nobody before Jesus told a parable in which the kingdom of God is like seed that can sometimes fail, be resisted, be unfruitful. Nobody before Jesus told a parable in which the kingdom of God is like a tiny little insignificant mustard seed that when it does grow is a, well, a bush. The kingdom of God is not what you expect. So what does today's parable, the parable of the mysterious growing seed, have to teach us? He said, verse 26... This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Now the seed is clearly in this parable the word. Like it was earlier in the chapter. The word of the kingdom. Jesus teaching. And then verse 27 again. Night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows though he doesn't know how all by itself the soil produces grain stalk head full kernel in the head as soon as the grains ripe well he puts the sickle in because harvest times come not what you would expect let me tell you a story William Williman was the chaplain at Duke University, he got a call one day from an irate parent. A father who had sent his daughter to Duke to prepare for law school. And now, the dad says, she's got this crazy idea of dropping out after her junior year and going to spend a couple of years working with the poor in Haiti and you're to blame. What? What do you mean I'm to blame? Well she's been going regularly to the chapel services there at Duke and listening to you preach. Somehow she's got the idea that she should go off and do kingdom work. And I want you to talk her out of it. And uh, Williman recognized the name of the girl. She was in fact active in the worship life of that chapel congregation. She was a regular in chapel services, but he wasn't about to take the blame for this. He said to the father, let me ask you something. Did you take her to Sunday school when she was little? Well, yes, of course we did. Uh, Did you have her baptized and catechized and confirmed? Well, yeah. And Wilman said, don't blame me. (laughs) Don't blame me. And he goes on to describe how he was affirming of this brilliant, committed, talented young woman's desire to serve the king and put on hold her plans for law school. But he ends telling the story by saying, now here's the point. I didn't do that. The word is not something that anybody can control. Its fruit is not something that anybody can predict. It's, well, it's supernatural. Somebody once asked Martin Luther how they could know that the Reformation he sparked was really of God, and he said... It has to be of God because all I've done for the last 30 years is drink good Wittenberg beer with my arm around my dear wife, Kate, and occasionally preach a sermon. The growth of the kingdom does not depend on us. It depends on God. Its effectiveness, the effectiveness of the seed, the word, fruit that it might bear, doesn't depend on us. depends on God. An usher speaks a friendly word to somebody coming in to worship. Somebody with a heavy heart and the usher has no idea that that one brief word of encouragement brought a spark of joy to that heavy heart. Or you give a word of witness to a colleague at work and as far as you can tell, it went in one ear and out the other, but little tendrils of kingdom go out into her heart. Pastor friend of mine in suburban Denver visited a couple one evening to share the gospel with them and uh, well into his conversation he wondered why they even invited him in because they were clearly not interested in what he had to share from God's Word. They kept the television on the whole time and although they pretended to listen to him and uh-huh, yeah, that kind of... They kept looking back at the TV and he left their home that night thinking this was a waste of time. But he didn't know that that whole time he was sharing the gospel with the parents, in the next room was a teenage boy who listened to every word. And bowed and gave his heart to Christ. Christ became the first teenager in that small church's youth ministry. A preacher goes to his alma mater to speak, and uh, afterwards a young man comes up to him and says, "Uh, do you remember me? (laughs) Speakers hate it when people do that. The guy did look kind of familiar, um, and then he said, "Um, I'm Rob. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The preacher remembered Rob. In his first pastorate there was a single mom raising two rambunctious boys all by herself and by Sunday morning she didn't have enough energy to control them anymore. They sat down on the second row creating havoc. He would say to the ushers, "You keep your eye on those boys they ruin another sermon you get them out of here. That Rob. Yeah. Now Rob says um, I'm here at this college because of you. I never heard of it until you mentioned it." Preacher's thinking, yeah, I would have pictured you in a different kind of institution, but, uh, but said, oh, well, um, what are you doing here? He said, I'm in pre-med. I'm doing pretty well. I thought you'd like to know. Preacher said, well, what was it about my preaching that, uh, that influenced you? And Rob said, well, actually, I don't remember anything about your preaching. What was it then? You always knew my name. Remember a name. Little tiny mustard seed. Insignificant. But bears fruit. Whether the farmer sleeps or gets up. You can see why a book about the parables lumps this one with several others under the chapter title, The Kingdom of God is Not Under Your Control. Fruit, seed, it's not up to us, it's up to God. Now, choir members, I still hope that come fall you will take the music home and Learn your parts. I wanna leaders, you gotta be here. You gotta be here faithfully. And you gotta love on those kids. And you gotta memorize the verses that you're asking them to memorize. There are other parables about hard work. And Sunday school teachers, you can't just throw your lesson together. You gotta study f- between Sundays. All of us have heard sermons or Sunday school lessons that felt like they were just thrown together. And we'd prefer the kind that had a little work put into them. And elders are going to have to strategize during these months of of transition. There's work for us to do after all Martin Luther really did do more than drink beer and hug his wife. Everybody let's look for some opportunities to sling seed this week. When we do If anything good comes of it, we will know what Paul and his colleagues knew in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Well, let's pray about that. How thankful we are or should be, our Father, that it all depends on you. Oh, yes, you use us. And in that sense, the work of the kingdom depends on faithful, obedient servants. But it's your kingdom. It's your power at work in us. It's you who motivate us. It's you who give us the right words. It's you that leads the prayerful boards and committees as they strategize. It's you who gets all the glory, all the credit. And uh, we know, at least when we're thinking clearly, that we didn't do all that much. But what a privilege it is to do what little we can. Help us sling some seed, we pray. For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name, and let all his people say, Amen. Stand, won't you, for the benediction? May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.